right, welcome back to the big program. 10.04 in Edmonton, looking at a high of plus three today. Uh, just wanted to update what's going on with the national junior team as the... Uh, World Junior Championship is, well, it's a week away, So, but Canada will play three pre-tournament games, and that starts tomorrow. They'll take on Denmark uh, tomorrow, and then we'll take on Switzerland on the 22nd and the United States on December 23rd, and the tournament opens for Canada on Boxing Day, of course, against Finland. So, you know, this is a weird one, Duke, for me in the sense that the name recognition isn't there for a lot of players like years past. Do you feel that it's a little different? Do you have a different feeling going into this world junior? Maybe a little bit? Uh, the the number of returning players it's each one, year yeah. usually plays a pretty substantial role in like what you talked about, the name recognition value. Mm-hmm. But like don't don't be misled. The the issue being that in the past couples, like last year in particular, the team was so strong that some of the um, like first year draft eligible players mm-hmm. uh, or not draft just just drafted players, I should say, didn't really have a sniff at making this team because there was such a strong crop of nineteen year olds, which is what this tournament is traditionally full of nineteen year old players. Um, this year, however, uh, it said once again to that point. But not a lot of returnees. Owen Beck being the the yeah. lone one there. Uh, but they did get Tristan Luno back from the the NHL. The the Ducks loaning him out. Um, no Adam Fantilli. No uh, Trevor Poitras or Matthew Poitras. Pardon yeah, me. Matthew. Uh, yeah. And then no Tyler Benson. So th- they are missing some star power up front. And we've talked with Matthew uh, Poitras is joining the World Junior Team now. Oh, is that? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I must have missed yeah. that. Thank just you. Came, just came in uh, this morning. Um, so there, the Canada had left one roster spot open yeah. with the hopes that one of those guys would uh, join the team. So Poitras uh, brings some more experience. He's been playing in the NHL all season, mm-hmm. had some pretty decent success there with the Bruins. Um, but it, this this team has a lot more question marks than ones we've seen in the past couple of years. Everything from yeah. the goaltending um, to, like I said, star power up front. It does look like they're once again kind of going to be headlined and the offense running through a, a 17-year-old skater in Macklin Celebrini. So I'm excited all the same, uh, yeah. wa- especially when you watch guys that are coming up on their draft like Celebrini. Uh, it, it should make for um, an entertaining one. But Canada, far from... I think that they're still the betting favorites, probably just because they are Team Canada. But uh, we've talked with Stephen Ellis. We talked yeah. with... Um, I can't remember if it was Ryan uh, Kennedy that uh, came on to chat about it. Uh, no, the other guy from uh, the Athletic. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Wheeler. Yeah. yeah, so both those guys said, like, it's kind of Sweden and USA are probably the headlining teams right mm-hmm. now. I have a bad feeling. I don't know why. I have a, a bad feeling that Canada isn't even going to medal. Really? Yeah. Uh, probably, I think maybe might be playing for a bronze. Uh, just, I I don't know why. Just a bad feeling going over. It's in Sweden. Uh, the Swedes have a good team. The Americans are, are good. So it's just a bad feeling. I don't know why. Uh, text coming in. one 1440 We were talking about uh, the... Teams using old jerseys and logos, blah, blah, blah. Uh, B says that game was in Tennessee. They had the Oilers spelled out in the end zone. Uh, Texans were wearing baby blue. Weird. Uh, I Again, I don't know why. I just felt it was just a weird feeling to watch uh, that game for sure. Uh, using jerseys of relocated team is a slap in the face to the previous city's fans. Uh BB wants the duel, I think, between the two of us in, on a VO2 Machine Max challenge. I don't know if that's going to happen, though. 
can't see it happening, Duke. Uh, Oilers on the road, left today, uh, will be in New York to play the Islanders tomorrow. Then it's uh, back-to-back on uh, Thursday and Friday with uh, the Rangers and the New Jersey Devils. The Oilers beat the Devils here. They lost to the Rangers here, beat the Islanders here. So it's kind of a, a, a quick little road trip to New York, and we were talking about that with Rob Tichkowski. We were talking about it with Mark Spector, just the fact that things are getting, they were getting stale here. They were getting stale, and that's maybe what the result was and one of the reasons for the result on Saturday, the 5-1 loss to Florida. The Oilers deserved to beat Tampa Bay. I think everyone can kind of agree on that. Didn't deserve to, to beat Florida at all. Uh, lines changing a little bit, what we think will happen for the start of this road trip. Uh, Evander Kane will skate with Connor McDavid and Zach Hyman. Uh, Ryan, Nugent Hawk- Ho- uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins with Leon Dreisaitl and Warren Fogle. And then uh, you've got the third line basically with uh, McLeod, Janmark, Brown, and then Hamlin, Ernie, and uh, Gagne on the fourth line. Defense pairings basically staying the same. Oilers... After two losses, really, when you look at two losses, they they were knocking on the door as far as a wild card position was. I think they were at the very best one point back going into that game against Tampa Bay. But now with two losses, and then you got teams like Minnesota winning three in a row. St. Louis has won two in a row. Arizona has won two in a row. Nashville has won four in a row. The Predators you would have, there's another possibility for, you know, with coach of the year in Nashville. I mean, the Predators are playing quite well right now, 36 points. So the Oilers are now behind Seattle by a point and Minnesota. However, the Oilers do have four games in hand on Seattle. Minnesota and the Oilers have played the same amount of games and the Oilers are one point back. Uh, The big game, and we talked about it with our uh, St. Albert Dodge game of the day, Calgary Flames taking on uh, Florida. Now, when you look at this game, Calgary has they they win on Saturday they beat Tampa Bay and to kind of right the ship a little bit but Calgary's two games below 500 12 14 and 5 they've played three more games uh, than the Oilers so uh, these guys again the Oilers have to make up the ground with these games in hand but they're going to start playing the, the schedule is going to toughen up for the Oilers you know three and four nights and then they go on the road again after the Christmas break so um, is there something like, something you want to see on this road trip in the sense of uh, like they're they're going in on this and if you say what out of six points if you can get four that's a success so would you say a two and one record is a good road trip Duke or would you go one one and one I mean Islanders are in every game the Islanders play is close it's like a one goal they've played one goal games all season They've won. They've. I think they've got seven or eight overtime losses. So, yeah, like these are three good teams that they're going up against. So it, it it's it's no no slouch. Like you look at the Devils, they're they're they seemingly like further down the standings, but they are only you know a point or two points out of the wild card mm-hmm. spot. Uh, and they have a ton of offensive firepower. Their their defense and goaltending still maybe a little bit on the suspect side since uh, Dougie Hamilton went down. Uh, good chance for the Oilers to see uh, likely Simone Nemich for the first time. Um, number two overall pick from a couple seasons ago, but both New York teams, uh, the the Rangers, this is a team for a couple years in a row now that have had you know 
Stanley Cup aspirations. They're tied for the Bruins atop the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference. That's going to be a huge matchup, and it doesn't matter if you see Quick or if you see Shesterkin. You're going to be in tough to score goals. And then ditto on the island, uh, whether it's Varlamov or Sorokin. Yep. Both New York teams are touting very strong tandems, um, and they can play the game a few different ways. Of course, the Islanders' bread and butter is shutting you down, limiting chances, uh, and then capitalizing on opportunities. But I, you said four six would be um, four to six is yeah they need they got to they got to get four you points you have to have four yeah. of six I, yeah. I think and that's that's no easy task because yes they were just on a roll but these last two games especially Saturday night um, it's, you know some old issues kind of starting to crop up against mm-hmm. primarily uh, defensive coverage in their own zone so four four of six would be a minimum I think yeah. five games ago was when I teed it up on in or out saying they needed uh, with eight games left yeah. before Christmas. They needed a minimum of 13 of the 16 points. Uh, That's out of the window now with the two regulation losses. But I think you got to do your best to try and win out here heading into the break. And uh, everybody can have a very Merry Christmas as a result. So the New York Islanders are 14-8-8. So that just shows you how many games that they've played that are, well, very, very close. Uh, Their goals for goals against differential is minus six. So... You know that they've been in a lot of close games, but they've also been blown out a couple times as well this season. Uh, When we come back, we will uh, check in with uh, Chris Franklin. Uh, NJ.com covers the Eagles, and it's the Eagles and the Seattle Seahawks tonight on the Monday Nighter. And after Dallas got blown out by uh, Buffalo yesterday, the Eagles can make a bit of a statement when it comes to the NFC East Division. That's coming up right after the break on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. 10-18 in Edmonton. Time to talk a little NFL with Chris Franklin from NJ.com. Uh, Chris, welcome to Sports 1440. You're with Kevin Carey's in the Duke of Delburn. Brandon Douglas, uh, thanks for coming on this morning. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so I guess the big question with the Eagles going into this one is the health of uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, how do you think he's feeling heading into this one tonight? Well, it's going to be still going to be a game time decision. I think you're going to have to try to get a lot of eyes <laughs> with him, especially because, you know, it seems like something's going around these locker rooms right now or this illness right now. The team had to send a separate charter for him just to go because they didn't want him to get sick and spread it around to the other players as well, too. I mean, it's a couple of other players had something going around, but this one seems to be really taking his toll on Jalen. So uh, the hope is that he still continue. He's going to be available to play, but if not, the seriously got question to your chances. Marcus Mariota, you know, he's a he's a experienced backup, but the fact that you know when you saw him earlier in training camp, he was still getting used to the offense and it was a little rusty at times, mm-hmm. little fumbles and everything else. So it's going to be something that Bears watching, and but you know, Hurts is going to do everything he can to be on that field tonight. Do you recall, uh, Chris, a, a team taking this much precaution with a, a player that's feeling ill? Not since the COVID years. I don't know mm-hmm. for sure. I've been covering teams since then, and even then, I even sent a separate charter. Now, nah, I, th- I think it's I think it's a big thing because it's Jalen Hersey would do that. It's, it's a, it was somebody like a, a backup linebacker or, or somebody special team where it's like. Yeah, probably just going to elevate somebody from practice squad, roll them out. But he means that much to that offense, to that team as a leader as well, too. So they're going to try to do everything they can to make sure that he's there. A, a that he's there and he's on the field. Chris Franklin, uh, NJ.com, is our guest on Sports 1440. Going into this one, Philadelphia with a 10-3 and record. And 
after seeing Dallas kind of not perform quite well at all uh, yesterday against uh, Buffalo, what do you make, I guess, just as the Eagles push for the number one seed here uh, in the NFC East? I think the Eagles are going to have to be big, huge Ravens fans. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way that I think that's the only path that I really think they could be the one seed. And the biggest argument that's going around, I don't know, at least around the Philadelphia area, is, is it better to be the two seed? Because if you're one seed, you're probably going to face the Cowboys in the second round. And it, 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 the benefit's going to be it would, if they were the one, they would be at Lincoln Financial Field, which they beat them earlier this year. But Cowboys, all, Cowboys always play them tough. And then, oh, yeah, you got the 49ers after that. And then you look, if you're a two seed, you're looking at potentially maybe Seattle again or the Rams. Then you play Detroit, which. I think they match it pretty well, but Detroit's playing well. And then, oh, yeah, you got to travel out to San Fran. So it's two interesting paths, two tough paths no matter what. But I, it's, it, to me, it's looking like it's, it's one of those things where they have to prepare being a 2 seed because I just don't see San Fran losing any of those in his remaining games, especially at home against the Ravens. You know, the Ravens are playing really well. Hmm. Uh, Chris, what have you made of uh, DeAndre Swift uh, in the uh, Eagles' backfield uh, coming over from Detroit? You know, at first, when I looked at the way they were using him early in the season, he was ripping off things, or they were ripping off his like second in the league and rushing at one point, and he, they relied on him heavily when the passing game wasn't really working. And so, like, okay, cool. You can see what they they why they got him here. He was right now in the last two games. He's had 19 touches. He had 11 last week against the Cowboys. He had eight the previous week against the 49ers. Which some, well, if you ask the Eagles, they say, oh well, is basically because they were behind their throne, but still to have a guy of his caliber, his ability to break break plays open in the, in the open field and, and force missed tackles, to only have him have 19 touches is rough. And mm-hmm. I think this is a game, especially especially if you first those plays, he's not going to be 100%. And you look at that, I think you need to rely on your run game because, A, you, the passing office is intermittent, and also you don't know about that defense as well, too. So that's the best way to do it is to possess the clock and run the ball, and I think DeAndre Swift is the man to do it. Chris Franklin, NJ.com's our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Uh, A.J. Brown having another outstanding season. Uh, Devonta Smith, uh, a great pass catcher as well. Uh, do you think that uh, these two guys are, w- when you're looking at, you know, a, a, like a tandem, one-two, where, where would you rank these guys being a one-two punch uh, in the NFL? That's tough. I'd probably, uh, to be honest, I'd probably say it's number two. Yeah. Because I look at what Miami has with Waddle and Tariq Hill, and that's just so much speed and so much big playability. But I think it's, it, it, they're really, really right behind as well. So you can still go up top when you look at A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith can make those contort himself and yeah. somehow come down with catches. You're like, how? there's times you're looking like, nah, it's not going to. Oh, wait, replays. Yeah, you got two feet in. You're like, wait, how do you do that? <laughs> so I think you, you, and what they do is, is yeah, I, I like what they do and they, how they complement each other as well, too. It's not just on the field, but off the field. They really care about each other. They're actually legit. You know, you're waiting for the thing like, oh, why is he getting this many targets? Why is he, why is he getting this many targets? They actually they coincide very well, so coexist very well. So I think that we are right there. The thing you want to worry about is teams starting to play those two deep safeties hmm. and trying to not allow them to big play and, and just force you to think and dunk down the way and try to frustrate you that way. But 
overall, I think they're a really good tandem. Yeah. But just behind the Miami Dolphins wide receivers. Uh, I totally agree with you. They're right there, just uh, just a shade back of uh, what Miami offers uh, game to game. Uh, Dallas Goddard, what's the, the status? Uh, he's been kind of banged up and been hurt uh, this year. Uh, is he kind of getting close to where he's, uh, you know, at 100%? Yeah, he's he's good. Uh, I thought the last game he was open a couple of times, just was misread. Either the pressure got to him or Jalen. Receivers have bothered spent the Brown, but I think it's important to have him back. We saw when he wasn't on the field, the middle of the field, that that became an issue for the Eagles. And I think that's you really need to occupy for this offense. They really need to occupy the middle to open up those big play shots as well, too. Dallas means a lot to this team. You look at the way that he's able to block in the run game and set that edge, especially on the right side, where that's, I think it's really, really important that it would be Hurts or Gainwell or Swift run. I think he does a great job, especially toward that side of the field. And then also, when it comes to speed out and the screens, I mean, one thing, one play that the Eagles love to run is that tight end screen and let Goddard use his yards after the catch to try to make plays that way as well, too. So he's back. It's a matter of just him continuing to remain healthy. I think if that happens, I think the offense will look a lot better. But it's, it happens sooner or later if they want to win the division. Uh, Chris Franklin, uh, NJ.com's our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Uh, how did the Eagles defense, how would they game plan, I guess, for Seattle? You got Geno Smith, Drew Locke. I mean, Smith's been banged up and, you know, Locke's had to been forced into play. But what would the uh, game plan be, I guess, with these two quarterbacks uh, for Seattle? Had it been Sean Desai, I know Sean Desai technically still a defensive coordinator, but with Matt Patricia now calling plays, I mean, things up the window. It'll still be the same concept. I think you may see a little bit more pressure, which I would do too. I'd probably put a little more pressure, maybe blitz off the off the offensive right side a little bit more to force Cox to go to his left and try to throw, but that's the name of the game. I mean, Seattle, off this, they're going to turn the ball over. They, they have the last one games. You're going to get at least one thing where it's either an interception or a fumble. It's a matter of trying to create more of those opportunities to put the Eagles' offense to short fields. But from them, I think the main thing is going to say, okay, you know what? What team's done to the Eagles, you do it to them. Keep your, keep, keep your safeties back. Mm-hmm. You force Metcalf. You force them to try and dump it off to Metcalf and lock it. Then you just have to hope that you don't miss tackles and allow these guys to pick up short and set the catch. But the matchup that really has me work with Darius Slay out now is you're going to have rookie Keely Ringo in there, who's really physical, he's really good. It's one of the things where I'd rather have him go against Metcalf and use James Bradbury or Tyler Lockett because you need somebody physical to try to throw off Metcalf off his route. I think Bradbury's savvy, is savvy, a veteran is savvy, know those, those double moves that Lockett likes to go, so you may have to run. I'd go with that pairing, but it's it's a daunting task to face the Seattle's offense. Mm-hmm. What have you thought of James Bradbury's play this year? You know, at first he's, he's good. Well, I think he's tailing off for the last couple of mm-hmm. weeks, and he's admitted it. He said he, he even said that in order for them to have a chance tonight, he has to play better himself. And it is, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think it's a combination of the pass rush not getting the sacks that they did last year, which means the coverage has to hold on a little bit longer. It's happening that way too. And teams have just been getting the bigger season beginning on the inside leverage on them, when they, especially with those slants and those digs and those inside routes, I think he's been beaten on a couple of those. So mainly also with those rub routes too. So he still has ability. He's still a very good cornerback. I mean, he can turn around too. He's before him. He's going 
in previous his career where he just looked like, well, it was a little rough, but then he's able to turn around and saw what happened last year. Though, so I don't think he's lost his stuff. It's just a matter of just refining some of those things and he'll get it back and he can still be a good corner again. Chris Franklin, our guest on Sports 1440. Um, Hassan Reddick, how much has he impressed you with his play this year? It's, I, I still have a celebration with Gladiator thing. <laughs> he said he keeps that mindset every time. It's a thumbs down every time he gets a sack. And, you know, at first we know he had, that, he had that thumb injury early on. You can tell it affected him because he, he like all defensive ends, and edge rushers, they use your hands with the pass rush. You're trying to get, it, you get inside those offensive linemen to try to set everything up, everything up. But you could tell that cast he had early on was affecting him. Mm-hmm. And then he finally got it removed, and he started looking a little more like himself. And the biggest thing that impresses me is his ability to get a sack late in the game, especially when a team is trailing, when they need to close it out, or they basically need to ball back. It seems like he has his innate ability to find a way to get pressure and influence the quarterback at that time. And I look at this matchup right now, especially if, Potentially going against the right tackle, if he, especially if, he, if Jason Peters is in on the right tackle at times. I like that ability because he rushes from that left side. I like that matchup mm-hmm. a lot. And I think you may be hearing his name called a lot tonight. His motor's, it's always running, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's like a, he's like a built in Hemi. Like, there's a, a human Hemi for the most part. It just keeps going and it revs up, per, it revs up a lot. And, it is continually goes. He, he finds his way. He gets that quick first step, and he gets that bend around around that edge. Yeah. It's like, how do you do that? It's just crazy how he's able to do it. But he's one. He's probably one of the more underrated edge rushers because you guys like both mm-hmm. and Parsons. They get a lot of the talk around there, and deservedly so. But you look at Reddick, and he's he's up there with the best. Note. He seems to have that leverage, like you know, as you said, when he comes around that edge. For some reason, he has that ability to um, have more leverage than other guys. Do you see that? Yeah, and, he, and especially there's balance, too, because a lot of times guys will start tipping their edge or the way they start rushing. You know, they'll start trying to over-influence to the left to try to slap a swivel or go back on the inside. But it's so consistent where you look at it every time. It's almost like it's almost like when you look at, talk about pitcher and their release mm-hmm. points. It's the same release point every time. So you're a tackle. You're trying to figure out, okay, which way he's going to go because it's so, it's so similar each time, and that's what's been able to help him out. Yeah. Chris Franklin, NJ.com's our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, I'm sure you probably kept an eye on the Dallas-Buffalo game yesterday. What was your uh, take on uh, what – well, the Buffalo Bills, I mean, that's a team I don't think people want to face them right now in the, you know, in the playoffs or going down the stretch here, but what did you make of that game? I thought they were, to me, honestly, I thought they were – I thought that they, their biggest point, like they were dead after that Eagles game because hmm. that was too much of a big goal, especially losing overtime. The way they lost in overtime, I thought, okay, that's that's it. Like, they're done. And to see the resiliency they've shown, it just shows that, you know, they're, they're a player – they're, they're going to be a player in the playoffs, I think. I think they make it, and I think they can make a decent run now, especially when you get these teams that are starting to peak this late in the season. And the way they were able to dominate the Cowboys, especially in the run game, I mean, we, that's, I think we, mm-hmm. the Cowboys, when you look at it, that's their Achilles heel because they're so focused on the pass rush and trying to move these guys around, try to get it. When you punch them in the mouth a little bit, they start to get a little bit weaker. I wish the Eagles established a run earlier uh, last week because I think they would have been able to exploit that a little bit. So I think with the Bills, <laughs> yeah. it can make some serious runs. At least get to the divisional round the way they're playing right now, and 
you know, for the Cowboys, it just seems like it's another year where you start to have a lot of momentum, and it doesn't get any easier for them after that game. If you, if you don't think the Miami Dolphins were, were looking like, if we look at most it's like, yeah. wait, he did James Cook did what against them? Okay, yeah, all right, I'm looking forward to it next week. So, yeah, I thought we learned a lot from both teams, and, and even even though it was a blowout. Um, what did you? So you're, I think you were referring to the game on uh, right before the bye week. The Eagles uh, it was 37-34. Uh, the the game that uh, you know was a tough, tough loss for the Eagles. Did you think at that point that they were uh, kind of done then? I mean, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought they were. Yeah. I really did. Because to see a, a 59-yard field goal yeah. in, in the wind and rain, and all of a sudden you just have the team go, okay, yeah, and it, you, you had the ball with a chance to drive in and win, and then you, get, you don't win any points, you don't do anything with the ball, and then you come back to it, especially with, McDermott, everything was going around with him, and he just didn't have the weapon. It just looked like it was that was their game. That was their to me. I thought that was their local. That was the way science to save their season. They didn't win that game, and I thought they were just done. I thought they struggled, and then after that, they they proved, proved me wrong. I think they proved everybody in the league wrong with that how how well they played lately. And yeah, Josh Allen looks like the old Josh Allen, which is going to be scary for a lot of AFC teams. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. They looked uh, like a team that again. I, I thought it was Denver was the team that no one wanted to play, but they took a step back yesterday um, and, well, on Saturday. But I think right now Buffalo is the team that no one wants to play. Anyone else in the league that you'd go, mm, this team is kind of scaring me right now? You know, you know I mentioned Detroit earlier. I think they are starting – because the reason why Detroit scares me a little bit, I think the Eagles still beat them in the playoffs, but the reason why they scare me is they're a young team that doesn't know any better yet. It's one of those things like, okay, like, everybody's so – like, you look at the balance they have. They can throw the ball when go- – I'll put the caveat, when golf is home or when golf is really into it, not turn the ball over, that offense looks really good, really home. Jameer Gibbs running the ball. Um, I'm on St. Brown when you throw the ball at him. He's doing a great job. He's receiving great plays as well, too. That defense can just out. You saw Aaron Glenn leave that unit. They're doing really good. Mm-hmm. And the thing, especially with a young team that's learning, they don't know, they don't know to play all – it's one of those things like they're playing with house money. You know, like, I mean, a lot of people thought they went to North, but people still I still saw a lot of people go, oh, the Packers, Jordan Love will come out of nowhere, and, and Vikings, you know, Kirk Cousins before he got hurt as well, too. So I think they don't know this experience, which is a good thing, because when they go in there, they can play freely and play loosely. And, yeah, there can be a team that can really, really create some trouble for matchup problems for teams. Hey, uh, Chris, thanks uh, so much for taking some time out uh, with us today. Enjoy the, the uh, game tonight, and uh, hopefully we talk soon. Thanks for this. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That's Chris Franklin. uh, NJ.com covers the uh, Eagles and the NFL. And, uh, boy, you can just see him him talking about the Buffalo Bills as a guy that's, you know, uh, obviously covers the NFL totally, but he looks at the Bills and goes, oh, this is a team that I don't think a lot of people would want to play right now, Duke. Oh, there's no chance. Uh, uh, Apart from the teams that genuinely sit at kind of the top of the table uh, the Ravens uh, the Niners and and even the Eagles yes yeah. they've dropped a couple in a row but they're still a very formidable team that I don't think anybody you know looks at come a playoff matchup and is licking their lips by any stretch um, outside of those teams I think the Bills are probably uh, that one that like you said is kind of um, on everybody's radar is like if there's a way to in any way to dictate our own positioning to avoid matching up with them in the first round uh, they'll look a way to do it but 
They're not even necessarily ruled out uh, of winning the division yet. No. I mean, yes, Miami's win yesterday was uh, was big, but once again, if they lose next weekend to the Cowboys, a game we touched on a little bit earlier in the show already, it's right there for the Bills to kind of jump on um, at eight and six now, uh, just a couple games back of the Dolphins. So, I um, the Bills are rolling, and the difference between them and these other teams that are kind of keeping themselves in the mix—the Browns and Bengals, Colts, uh, Texans. The difference is the Bills are pretty well firing like at full health. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they still have a couple injuries on the defense, but um, the Texans without C.J. Stroud, at least for this weekend, no Tank Dell, it's Nico Collins one. health up in the air. Colts already without Richardson. Taylor uh, expected back next week, but we don't know about Pittman. Bengals, Browns with other quarterbacks. Like It's, it's, it's going to be way tougher for those teams to maintain this for the last couple of weeks of the season as opposed to the Bills who can pretty much just yeah. carry on business as usual. Do you think your Texans can sneak in somehow? I would love to see them sneak in just uh, for the story, if nothing else. Um, like, obviously, it, it has to include C.J. Stroud getting back yeah. on the field. Case Keenum uh, played well enough yesterday to win, but d- do not be fooled. The Tennessee Titans are not a good football team. Will Levis looked pretty good yesterday, but um, Derrick Henry, a shadow of his former self in many regards. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest, I fully expected Houston to lose that game yesterday mm-hmm. because of no Stroud, uh, no Dell, no Collins. And you know who I expected to have a huge game? DeAndre Hopkins, of course, going up against his old team, left the franchise pretty unceremoniously mm-hmm. um, as they kind of descended down the standings. But he, he was very quiet uh, as a resu- or, uh, by the time the final whistle went. So that was a great um, you know, a reaction to adversity for Houston because of the injuries going down early 13 rip. It's, it was an impressive win, albeit against a bad team. But when you look at the Bills, you look at the Bengals, you look at the Browns and even the Colts, it, I think it'll be tough for, for Houston to actually keep this up for the last few games because of all their injuries to actually get in. I think they'll probably finish eight or ninth, yeah. I would think. Uh, D-Hop just had two catches for 21 yards yesterday, yeah. so he was basically a non-factor. What did you think uh, when I asked Chris Franklin where he ranks uh, A.J. Brown and Smith, Devontae Smith, as far as, you know, one, two punches at the wideout spot? Uh, would you have him two or three, or where would you? I, I, I'll be honest. I actually think they might take the one spot for me. Yeah. I, I totally get what he's saying about Tua and, uh, and um, or pardon me, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle down in Miami. Mm-hmm. What I like about what Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown bring is that they're kind of two different types of receivers. A.J. Brown is so big, so physical. He can, you know, make catches across the middle, go up for jump balls. And then Devontae Smith, you're more uh, more in the same vein as, say, a Waddle and a Hill. Um, speed being the factor, route running and things of that nature. But even Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk uh, and Debo's diversity coming out of the backfield sometimes, how do you not like that as an option? There's some really good tandems uh, across the league, and with Jordan Addison's continued growth and ascension, he had a great game on Saturday. Him and Justin Jefferson are going to be kind of uh, creeping in on that conversation in pretty short order as well. So there's a lot of great tandems across the league right now. But for me personally, I think Adams or um, Brown, pardon me, and Smith Smith. are probably, uh, if if not number one, certainly number two. Uh, from Adam Schefter, Colts running back Zach Moss plans to try to play Sunday in Atlanta, despite the fact that he injured his shoulder against the Pittsburgh Steelers. X-rays on Moss's shoulder were negative, uh, and he has to, in the words of a source, see how he progresses through the week. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap the show up, put a nice little bow on it for a Monday morning. Uh, stay with us. Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 right after the break. All right, welcome back to the big program. You got me on that one, Duke. No sniff. Uh, that's another uh, original that uh, once again heard more. It's actually pretty new uh, from Canadian 
treasure, Dallas Smith. Oh. Of the Canadian country music scene and former lead singer of Default. Was he? If you're uh, the rock no, band, no uh, you might not be familiar with that one, Kev. But uh, yeah, classic title of that one. So, Dallas uh, Smith. It's a, basically a Christmas song about Christmas songs. Okay. And he's a Canadian, eh? Dallas. Oh, yeah. Mm. Multi, multi, multi-time CCMA award Good winner. for Smitty. He's a beauty. Oilers announced that uh, their 50-50 uh, raffle, I guess, will be for No Kid Left Alone coming up. So it starts uh, today uh, and goes on till the end of the year. So from December 18th to the 31st, the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation. Uh, so it's uh, No Kid Left Alone. The 50-50 raffle will uh, run for the next uh, couple of weeks. So supporting the Stollery Children's Hospital and the Make-A-Wish Canada Foundations. So, uh, if you want to get a ticket and purchase that, at least you know it's going to a great cause. And I mean, the 50-50s here, <laughs> they just are on another planet, aren't they? I mean, if you look at the over the years, how much it, where it's gone, oh, it's crazy. During the COVID season, yeah. when I think you still can do this, but uh, we don't partake anymore. A group of my friends, uh, well, back in Delburn, so we like, well, we're never, we're not going to go to any Oilers games this year. Obviously, it's uh, it is what it is. But that was when they started the online fifty fifty, mm-hmm. and so we would each we'd take a turn each home game, and for every Oilers home game that season, we'd buy a batch of fifty fifty tickets. And what that did is now set up that because of this rolling jackpot they now do the totals. Like these are life changing amounts of money that you're winning yeah. from a hockey team's fifty fifty raffle. You're again life changing. Again, it's not like you're you can quit your job. Like it's because like in Edmonton traditionally, but, I, I I think it's a Canadian even thing to a certain extent that fifty fifties at sports games per capita yeah. and even just the totals in general seem to really dwarf what they get at these games in the states, whether it be football, baseball games. Like it's not close. It's zero. Um, but it, I, I wouldn't say it's a total Canadian thing because you watch the Blue Jays games, right? And they'll have a, a 50-50. It's not even close to what... What the Oilers what are the Oilers capable of. And, and yeah, and because you know. like, so it, if you win at a, a regular game, whatever, like you're getting a ton of money and, you know, well into the five figures and maybe even occasionally creeping up on six mm-hmm. um, or six and even into seven. But like, that's like I said, that's a lot of money. What you can win from these Oilers ones, like you're well into seven figures. Mm-hmm. It's insane. So (laughs) count me in. I'll uh, I'll I'll be buying a few tickets here down the home stretch. And again, at least like if you're going to go buy a lottery ticket or whatever, uh, the money that gets raised there, you know what this is. Again, so Stollery, Make a Wish Foundation. So you know that it's at least it's going to a good cause, and it's staying in Edmonton, right? That's because I I mean even the even you know the the fifty or the lottery and stuff. You know the the money in theory goes to a a good place and good cause, et cetera. But the best part about this is that exactly what you said, Kevin, it does stay local and you know exactly where the money's going because they tell us, mm-hmm. which is a, a great thing that the uh, community foundation does. And I, I'm, I'm a happy supporter of it, even if it is uh, virtually the same odds as uh, <laughs> buying myself a lottery <laughs> ticket. I never win anything nah, like this. I don't exactly. think I've ever won a raffle or even, even as a kid at like hockey tournaments, uh, you know, like the draw tables they'd have you, you spend your, 10 bucks and you get a handful of tickets to put into maybe try and win a stick or a gift basket or something. Never I don't win. think never once in all my years of minor hockey did I ever win a single thing. I think I won uh, a radio once for a uh, home lottery, you know, the, mm. whatever it was. I can't even remember. It was- and like, like home radio, like one of those like ones that was in my grandparents' house <laughs> in Hinton where it's like yeah. 
four feet tall and nine knobs on it. And <laughs> it, it was uh, actually, it had CD players. It, had, it could play five CDs at once. That's how old like it was. Like a disc changer? Yeah, disc changer. Oh, wow. Well, it was That's just pretty spinning. fancy. Well, I was, they, I was spinning it, man. And it came with like some big, uh, like two subwoofers on each side. <laughs> Basically, and, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can picture it. Edmonton Oil Kings uh, won in overtime yesterday at the Rogers, beating the Regina Pats by a score of three to two. Also on Saturday, Coachella Valley Firebirds defeated Bakersfield five two. Jack Campbell played thirty one minutes, allowed four goals against. So, obviously, got the hook. Not a good situation. It'll be interesting because that was a game in Coachella Valley, so Grant Fear would have been doing the game. Mm-hmm. So we'll get a real good take uh, tomorrow with Grant Fear when he checks in uh, from Palm Desert with the 5-2 victory Coachella Valley Firebirds over the Bakersfield Condors on Saturday. Uh, that's, wasn't, that's not good. That's not good. I mean, Jack Campbell has to... <laughs> He's got to figure things out. I mean, if he can't even figure it out in the in the AHL, obviously it's not going to happen at the NHL level. Uh, we touched on it off the top. The hottest player right now in the league is Nathan McKinnon. Eight goals, 19 assists. He's got a 15-game point-scoring streak going. Uh, Colorado beat San Jose last night by a score of 6-2. to two. And McKinnon, quietly, well, maybe not quietly, has moved into second spot in... Uh, the NHL scoring race. Uh, Nikita Kucherov's got 52 points. Nathan McKinnon has 47. If you're wondering, Connor McDavid is uh, tied for fifth with David Pasternak with 41 points, one back of Artemi Panarin. Uh, what was your? That was one of the uh, ins or outs. Was Connor was going to be leading by the end of the end of the calendar year? End of the calendar year. Yeah. So he's you're, 11. You're going to turn it up on the road here. Yeah, well, they they would have three games after as well. Yeah, they play uh, obviously three and four nights here, and then before uh, before Christmas, and then after Christmas, they have three and four they nights head, again. Head west, yeah. Uh, so, bit of a break. You got five days off between games. So, the other thing that you notice when I, when you go through the stats, um, Aiden Hill leads the league in goals against average, and number two on the list, Cam Talbot. I mean, that's if you were to look at the and. The top two goalies, Aiden Hill, 1.93 goals against average. Cam Talbot is at 2.02. Then you've got another guy that's fourth that you would go, nah, Jonathan Quick. <laughs> it's it's quite remarkable when you look at the bounce back or the, uh, if you want to call it between Cam Talbot, Jonathan Quick. These are two goalies that, you know, what Quick is what, 38? He's uh Talbot, he's, I believe, is 36. 35. So these guys are playing phenomenal. They're playing out of their minds right now. The Flames, this comes from Dave Platten. The Flames are lucky if their 50-50 hits 50K. It's never close to the Oilers 50-50, which I agree. And again, when we watch the Blue Jay games in the summertime, you see, I don't know, it's like 30, 40 grand. Well, they run progressive jackpots as well. Um, and they can get up into the six or mm-hmm. seven, so like over a million dollars uh, range as well. Um, but I don't think they do that for every stretch of home games or whatever, but uh, some of them. And I think theirs is like uh, like ours. You can buy them even if you're not at the game. But once again, like for Oilers, you have to be a Alberta resident mm-hmm. to purchase them online. I believe the like, same goes for Blue Jays where you have to be an Ontario resident uh, to buy them even if you're not at the game. So they can get up there for sure. But keep in mind that 
uh, a full stadium at a Blue Jays game is uh, substantially more people yeah. than Rogers Place uh, packed right to the brim. So it's uh, it's a great show of support for for the community by by the patrons and all those fans. Uh, and hopefully we'll keep that going. Get a really nice big jackpot for. I assume they're doing the draw right on New Year's Eve. I would be yeah. It would be right after yeah. you know th- th- after that game. Yes. I think they play six o'clock. I think it's in Anaheim. Is that if I'm correct on that? Uh, another loss uh, in uh, Doopies uh, fantasy football. So I'll be. You're still oh, playing. Yeah, well, it's the we play consolation bracket. The toilet bowl, it's called. Yeah, yeah. ours is called that as well. Yeah, so actually, the, it's a nice trophy. Gregor won it last year. <laughs> uh, there's a plunger on the top of it, gold <laughs> plunger. Uh, but one of the top, okay, the the guy that had the best record, Big Baldy, he's in peril of losing. Uh, the sec, the guy that had the second best record, is lost. He's he's he only put up sixty one points. Uh, he had and he had James Cook on the bench. Yikes! Yeah. That well, there you go. That's, 30, well, it's just that's just ineptitude. Season. Yeah, there. Stewie, no sniff, no sniff. Stewie. Uh, so he's going to lose. So he's going to be out. And Big Baldy is. He's got Jalen Hurts going tonight, but the other guy has Brown and Elliott, and they're they're tied. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah. The, our art are in, in my dynasty league. Our top seed is in danger of losing. It will mm-hmm. basically like the top seed is well lined up. He has Hertz, Goddard, and I think either Brown or Smith, and he needs a pretty modest amount of points to to surpass and get the W. Uh, this I'll, I'll throw this out as a humble brag. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of my leagues here in first round playoff matchups. Top scoring team in the league. Come on, yours truly. Really, I'm That's rolling impressive. heading into the playoffs. Good job without Duke. the likes of uh, all these season-ending injuries that uh, my squads have sustained. But I endure. I endure. I trek on. Savvy moves. Good <laughs> trades. Good drafting. It's no replacing for the right mind at the helm. Well, how about this? Okay, if I had... Uh, I got Zach Charbonnet tonight. And I'm down 20 points. Any chance? No. Yeah, that's Walker tough. Walker would have to be hurt. <laughs> See, he would have to get hurt and... Even still, I think Seattle's probably going to be trailing most of this game, so I think they'll be... I'm thinking maybe some nice little screen utilizing, passes for Utilizing Charbonnet. the air attack. Uh, it, Charbonnet's been good. They, they've used him a lot, actually, even when Walker's been in the lineup. So yeah. I think he'll uh, he'll probably punch out something for you. What if he gets like... like uh, this is what's going to happen. He's going to get like 19 points or something, and I'll lose by one. Just lose, yeah. right? Oh, God. It's yeah. just sickening. Uh, thanks to all our guests that uh, came on the show today to kick uh, Monday off, our final week before the, the uh, little bit of a Christmas break. Uh, Rob Tichkowski from Post Media, thanks for getting out of the rack early at 7.20, T-Bone. Lori Ann Munzer is our uh, co-host every Monday from uh, 8 to 10. Mark Spector, Neville Wright in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, Jenna Ortiz from Arizona Central was... Uh, uh, kind enough to join us at uh, 920 plus Chris Franklin. NJ.com covers the Eagles. So it's the Eagles tonight. And Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Philadelphia looking to, well, maybe make a little bit of a push here and stay ahead of Dallas when it comes to the NFC East. Uh, coming up tomorrow, Grant Fuhrer will uh, check in from uh, uh, Palm Desert as uh, one last show before uh, the Christmas break for Fierzy. Uh That's coming up tomorrow. Uh before today, uh, we've got uh, Fantasy Frenzy at 11 o'clock with the Duke of uh, Delbert and the former... Ross Shep T-Bird. Honor Alley. Uh, 12 o'clock is the lowdown with Low Tide. Alan Mitchell from 12 to 2. And then Jason Greger from uh, 2 to 6 drive home show uh, on Sports 1440. And, of course, Greger will have 
the month of giving. Uh, as that continues on, please be generous and support it if you can. Some great uh, items again coming up at uh, 2 o'clock. Uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for checking in. We'll see you back here bright and early tomorrow at 7. Uh, up next here is a Sports 1440 Update with the Duke. Have a great day, everyone.